Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. I want you to listen very carefully to what I say today. Of course, I always feel that way, as any preacher does, but uh, even more so today than usual. And I say that because some of you might think I'm going to be talking about politics or race, and I'm not. And so I want to clarify that right at the very beginning, and I'll mention it again later. That's not the subject this morning. Uh, But by the grace of God, I am not going to let the fear of offending you stop me from saying what you need to hear. And, uh, And I can guarantee you this morning, this is something we all need to consider. We need to consider this because it teaches us something about human nature and needs. Human nature and our needs. No story that I know of in the Bible does it any better than the one I've chosen here today in Luke chapter number 15. You know, there's certain certain scriptures that tend to impact us more than others. I think we all agree with that, right? I, I, I mean, whenever we think about Psalms 23, we, uh, we're all blessed by that. But when you get back over earlier there in the first few books of the Bible, it's given the genealogy of different people. And, you know, we that's all true. But we just don't get that much out of it, do we? So certain scriptures impact us more than others. But I found that stories from the scriptures have a way of sticking with us even more than statements from the scriptures. There's something about a story, especially whenever you know that it's real and it's true, and, and, and certainly when it comes from the Lord and it's imparting some bit of wisdom that we desperately need. Well, that's the story of the man that we're going to be talking about here this morning, the story of the prodigal son, the story of a man who went from riches to rags. Riches to rags. And then, of course, he went from rags to riches. But listen, this is more than the story of a man. This is the story of man. The story of man. This is... This is the story of all of us. This is the story since Adam. And that was what this story is designed to do. It's designed to show us man's rebellion, his ruin, and his need of being reconciled with the Father. Now, verse number 11 is where we began. And he said, that is Christ, he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. 
And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto the father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. This story is one of the most popular and profitable stories in all of the Bible. In fact, one famous writer called this the greatest piece of literature that was ever written. Now, I can understand why he might feel that way, and I certainly wouldn't debate with him. Remember, this is a part of a... Uh, of, of three stories that our Lord told about things that are lost. And this one especially gets right down to where we live because it's dealing with the man who made the most foolish choice that anyone could ever make. And it shows not only his ruin, but it shows ultimately how he finally went back to the Father. And in that, we find a picture of, of the needs of man being met by fellowship with the Father. So this is the story of fallen man and his need of God. It explains what happened to man, what is wrong with man, and what man needs. And we could stand here and talk for hours about the prodigal's, his request, his rebellion, his ruin, his realization, his remorse, his repentance, his restoration, his rejoicing, his relationships. And I say that because some years ago I had a series on uh, just on this one story about, I don't know, 10 or 12 messages. And so there's a lot that could be said about it. But this morning... I want you to notice two short phrases as we speak about the prodigal's plea. Notice in verse number 12, he says, give me, give me. Now look at verse number 19, and he says, make me. I've underlined those words in my Bible, those two phrases there that tell us so much about his life. The first one speaks about his rebellion. Give me. I, I, you know, I, I want my inheritance right now. You know, I'm leaving town. I want everything that's coming to me. And so this has to do with his rebellion. But the second speaks about his return. Notice it says, when he comes back to the Father now, he's on his way back and he says, make me. Make me as one of your hired servants. Something happened between that first plea and the second plea. There was a turning point. Something happened that changed everything, and you find it in verse number 17 where it says, He came to Himself. You see, sin is spiritual insanity. 
And when it says he came to himself, you know, back in the Ozarks, we got a saying that probably Texans have used also. We talk about somebody's not quite right, you know, not playing with the full deck. We say, you know, he's kind of, he's beside himself or something. When we come to ourselves, when we start thinking as we should, we're right, you know, in our right mind. And that's what happened here. He came to himself. Before, it was all about give me. Now it's all about make me. He had learned the hard way that being with the Father is better than being in the far country. Now the question is, why in the world would anybody make such a foolish choice as what he made in the first place. Why would you why would you leave the father? I mean there's absolutely nothing here to indicate that he had been mistreated or, or abused in any way whatsoever. There was no reason for him to leave the father that we know of. There's there's no indication of that. So what would compel him to leave the father and to go into far country. Let me tell you, people do what they do for a reason. We all do. That's part of human nature. We do what we do for a reason. Sometimes we're not even aware of what that reason is. It's something subconscious or whatever, but we always think about, you know, that there's a payoff for whatever it is. That's why we do what we do. We get angry or we laugh or whatever it is we do, whatever emotion we display. There's always some reason behind it. And so I look at this story and I wonder to myself, as unreasonable as this seems, he had to think that there was a payoff And he is expecting something out of it. So what was it? You know, I've got an idea. I'm not a mind reader and I'm not a prophet. And so I can't tell you exactly what he was thinking. And the Bible doesn't give a clear explanation. But think about this. Since the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And since he asked for what? His inheritance. Because of that, I think that we can see that covetousness caused his choice. He wanted something that eventually would be his, but was not his right now. He's coveting after his inheritance. And even so, man's conduct is controlled by covetousness, more than we'll ever realize. Let me give you an example, and I want you to really listen to me, and I warned you in the beginning, some of you are going to think I'm talking about politics or I'm talking about race, and I'm not, and I'm going to try to clarify that as we go along. But this is simply an illustration. Have you ever wondered why the blacks in, in America dumped the Republican Party? Now, this isn't about Republican or Democrats, but have you ever wondered? I mean, you've, you've got to wonder about that. The Republican Party was Lincoln's party. And, and the, by the way, it was the KKK party also. I mean, you can't deny that. I'm just giving you clear facts now. This is the party that wanted slavery. And so I ask you, what in the world could be so powerful as to bring about a drastic change like that, that we'll move from the Republicans, the ones that freed us basically, over to the Democratic side? 
how could the Democrats pull that off? I, the, I mean, if you look at it from the political standpoint, this is genius, I guess. It doesn't make it right, but I mean, it's genius what they did. It's, it's amazing considering what they had done and how horribly they had treated the black people. You talk about a scourge upon our nation. We look back and we think about how the black people were treated. It's absolutely disgraceful and a shame to think that here in good old God bless America that we would ever be so stupid as to abuse and mistreat people like that. Thank God they're free. I'm so glad of that. Thank God for that. But how in the world, what could the Democrats do in order to get these people that they cared nothing about to come over to their side. I'm convinced that they bought the support with the promise of government benefits. Boy, it's quiet in here now, isn't it? I I don't know whether you're a Democrat or Republican, and I don't care whether you're black or white. I'm not a racist, and they have nothing to do with it. All of this, you go back to 1933 and FDR and the New Deal. The New Deal. Boy, I mean, the New Deal. That's going to, we're going to help everybody out, you know, and, uh, and boy, it seemed like a, seemed like a great deal, but the New Deal that became a big deal actually become a raw deal. And I say that because we have gone from the greatest generation, even wrote, you know, books have been written about that. We've gone from the greatest generation to the gimme generation, and now we are in the godless generation. And I think I can justify making a statement like that simply by the testimony of people in general and surveys that have been taken. The prodigal son wanted something. He was motivated by desire for something that he didn't have. And he insisted on getting it. But listen, there's more to it than that. Are you still with me? I can't tell. Brother Kenneth is away preaching this morning. Brother Hamlin's not here. And I've got a few of you out there that's hanging with me. But uh, it's, it's hard to tell. But it doesn't make any difference. I'm going to preach what I'm going to preach regardless. I mean, the truth is the truth, whether people like it or not. Now, I say there's more to it than that. You know, it's, listen, it's, it's, it's about morals as well as money. And some of you think I've been talking about politics, but I haven't. You're wrong. I'm talking about morality. I, I don't care about the name of the party. It's the nature of the party that concerns me. And, and I'm going to explain what I mean. By the way, if you don't understand the nature of the problem, you'll never realize what the need is. And there was more to, to the prodigal's plea than just covetousness. It wasn't just a matter of, I want my inheritance, you know, and I'm going to get it, and I'm going to split the scene, I'm going to leave town, I'm going to go out on my own. It's also a matter of control. He had made the decision that he no longer wanted to be under the Father's authority. I want to be free to do as I please. And so what did he do? He went into a far country. He didn't go across the street. 
He didn't move just down the street. He went into a far country. He got as far away from daddy as he possibly could. He didn't want daddy to know what, what he was doing. He didn't want daddy trying to control him in some way. He wants to be free to do as he pleased. So he went into the far country where many live today. And by the way, the far country has nothing to do with a geographical location or a number of miles. It is an attitude. The far country is a state of mind. It's not a location. And again, we see how this relates to our society. The same party, and I would say this regardless of which one it was, the same party that provided government hands, handouts and created the entitlement mentality in America is the same one that provides abortions and promotes homosexuality and perverts the family as an institution. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, Baptist, Methodist, or what you are. You're wrong if you believe in all of that crap. I mean, that is as wrong as it can possibly get to murder the little innocent unborn babies. Wanting to be free to do as he pleased. He took off. We wonder today about how in the world we could end up with candidates like we have running for president. And, and we shake our head in, in disbelief. Listen, they are but a reflection of what we are, what we have become as a people. That's, that's a, the, the problem's not with them. The problem's with us, those that, that have supported those causes. Somebody said, well, I don't think a preacher ought to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you who, who to vote for by name. I'm telling you what you ought to vote for. And it makes a big difference. You vote for certain people, you're voting for abortion. Think about that. Oh, I, I'm really, you know, I'll leave poor old Beth alone. That, uh, oh, you hadn't heard. Well, yeah, I'll leave it alone. Let Ed take care of that. We'll see if he does. How in the world you could sit under someone teaching the Word of God or vote for somebody that murders babies? I, I, I don't get that. You see, this isn't a, this isn't a, political issue. This is a moral issue. And it's not just about who becomes president. It has to do with what you do with your life. The decisions that you make that are based either upon a covetous attitude that I want this and I don't care who I hurt to get it. I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to get it. I'm going to live the way I please. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. When you set out to live a lifestyle like that, you're going to end up in the pig pen of life. You're going to get hurt. And I'm trying to help you not hurt you this morning. I'm telling you the truth. Now here's the, to me, one of the most interesting parts of the story. The prodigal son said, give me, and the father did. Did you notice that? He allowed him to, to walk away. He said, let me get my wallet out. You know, here it is. I'm going to get, or write you a check. I mean, here it is. I, 
you, you don't like it here, you can leave any time you want to. He allowed him to do that. You see, that is exactly what God did with Adam and Eve. Somebody said, well, I don't understand why God allowed them to do that. Really? Listen, God wants you to love Him. God is not going to force you. You can't force love. So God allowed man to rebel against Him, and then God made a plan to bring him back to Him in order that man might ultimately love Him. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, you see. Had God not allowed man to sin, we'd never know anything about the love of God. That's why even the angels look down upon us and as they looked upon the cross and they think about the gospel and, and, and it's with bewilderment. They, they don't understand that because He didn't die for angels. He died for us. And we appreciate it because we know the price that He paid. Now notice... The prodigal longed for what? Freedom. To have what he wanted, to do what he wanted, and let me ask you, what did he lose? He lost his freedom. Let me tell you, the no free handouts from the government. When you began to depend upon the government to do for you, they're going to control you. I mean, if they've got the purse strings, they're going to control you. There are no free meals in life. The father said, you want to leave? You can leave. And he left and he ended up in the pig pen. You see, his rebellion resulted in his ruin and ours will do exactly the same thing. We reap what we sow. There are no exceptions to that rule. When he left the father's house, he lost all he had and ended up in the pig pen and what? And no one was there to help him. Wouldn't it be horrible if the story ended right there? But it doesn't. We go ahead and we read the rest of the story, and finally it tells us here, the prodigal, it says, it came to himself in verse number 17. He began to realize something. And his realization led to remorse, and his remorse led to repentance, and his repentance led to his return, and his return led to his restoration. And now instead of having a funeral for him in a far country, there is a feast in the father's house. Boy, let me tell you something. It makes a big, big difference whether you're in the father's will or not. Can you imagine being at that party? Only some self-righteous jerk wouldn't want to be like, well, that describes the older brother. We'll talk about him some other day. But I mean, there is a feast. He said, the father said, kill the fatted calf, put a robe on his back and shoes on his feet and a ring on his finger and we're going to party hardy tonight. We're going to live it up. Why? Because my son that was lost is found and he's back home now. Amen. The Bible talks about even the fact that there's rejoicing in heaven whenever a sinner repents. You know, someone receives Christ as their Savior and 
And there's so many times we just, you know, we kind of, well, boy, that is, that's so wonderful. I'm happy for you. I mean, it's kind of like congratulating them on the fact that they, you know, that they won a prize at the carnival or something. We don't get all that excited about it, but let me tell you, heaven gets excited about it. I mean, heaven is thrilled over the fact that sinners repent. And notice the change in attitude here. It went from give me, that's what we've been talking about, give me, to make me. And notice what it says, verse 19, make me as one of thy hired servants. Wait a minute, he is a son He has been accustomed to sitting at the Father's table, putting his feet under the table, as it were, and eating the the very best food available. He is accustomed, you know, to maybe, well, at least having some privileges that the guys out in the bunkhouse, they're servants. Man, they don't get to do what I do. I don't have to do what they do, you know. I'm a son. But there's none of that attitude when he comes back. It's like now, all of a sudden, it's what I want no longer even matters. It's what the Father wants. And that's why he said, notice, he said, make me. He's content being in the Father's will and content with whatever the Father wants to give him. The one who had rebelled against the Father now resigns himself to the Father's will. You remember the story of Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul there? Whenever the Lord revealed himself to him and he was saved, and first of all he said to the Lord, Who art thou? What was the next question? Lord, what will thou have me to do? See, he was no longer interested in living so as to please himself. It was, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, that ought to be our attitude. The most important thing in our life, whenever we have our heart right with God, it shouldn't ever be about what we want to do, but what the Father's will is for our for our life. In the first plea, it shows us the essence of man's problem, which is what? Selfishness. It's all about me. I want my inheritance. I don't want to stay here. I want to get out from under your thumb and do as I please. Now, that's the essence of what our problem is. But in the second plea, we see an example for all of God's people. Nothing else matters now except the Father's will, and that's the way that it, it, that it ought to be. This is not, I repeat, the story of a man. This is the story of man. And what we see here in the prodigal son is what we see in human nature. And the reason we don't solve our problems, have you ever wondered about that? After all of these years, you know, we talk about the race issue and, oh, you know, we've come miles, we've stopped. No, we haven't. We got, we got whites that hate blacks and blacks that hate white. What in the world are you talking about? 
It's better, sure it is, but it's still real. We haven't solved that problem. Abortion. All of these other problems. Why is it that after all of these years we haven't solved these problems? Because, listen, we're dealing with the fruit instead of the root. That's exactly what it is. Somebody said, well, we got a real problem in America with drugs. we got a real problem with this and a real problem with that. That's not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is man's relationship with God. Until we fix that, we won't fix anything else. Somebody said, well, if we can just get so-and-so in the White House, that'll fix all of our problems. No, it won't. We still have the same problems until we get to the root of the problem. If you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you know, preacher, you're right. I've got a real problem. I've, you know, I, I, I've got a bad temper. I'm a horrible person. I've got terrible habits. I, I don't like anybody and nobody likes me and I got all these. No, listen, that's not your problem. Your, your problem goes back to your relationship with God. And whenever, whenever you fix that, he'll fix all of the others. You know, we look at somebody that, you know, where there's been a drastic change in their life. Oh, I could talk about the drastic changes that in my life after I received Christ as my Savior. And I remember the Lord, you know, called me to preach. And I said, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, do anything you want me to do. And I meant it with all of my heart. And I've tried to live by that rule in my life. Lord, whatever you want, I don't care what it is, I'm willing to do it. But it wasn't me making the changes. It's what God did in my life. He's the change agent. He's the only one that can make that. He's the only one to put your marriage back together. He's the only one to help you through your difficulties. He's the only one that can lift you out of your depression. He's certainly the only one that can save your soul from a devil's hell. You don't have a chance without him. And he made every provision that you could possibly need whenever his son died on the cross. He gave his life that you might be saved. Well, the prodigal son, as I said, is not the story of a man, but a story of man. But listen, it is a story that relates to each and every one of us on a personal level. And as I said... The far country is not a matter of geographical location or a matter of miles. It's an attitude. It's a state of mind. And there are people sitting in church pews every week, and yet they're living, as it were, in a far country because there's that great gulf between them and God. You need, listen, you need to close that gap right now. What you're doing is insane. And you need to get up out of the pig pen of life and hit the road running and come back to the Father. And I promise you, when you get there, He'll be waiting to meet you and greet you with open arms. Will you come to Him today as we stand together? Father, I pray that You'll speak to not only to just a select few, but speak to all of us here today. May we better understand our nature as a people. And may we certainly understand what 
our true needs are in life. Lord, we think about the condition of our country and it absolutely breaks our heart to even, to even imagine being in a condition like we're in. But we know that, that you are the one that can raise kings up or take kings out or do whatever needs to be done. We trust you knowing that you'll never fail us. But Heavenly Father, this morning on a personal level, there's someone here this morning that's in that far country and they need to get up and come home and come to you. And may you, by the power of your Spirit, draw them to the fellowship of your side that they might enjoy the many benefits of being in your presence. For we pray in Jesus' name. Now as we 